This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I love to draw as a kid. And I guess more accurately you could say, I love to color. Because when I would draw things, I would always experiment with colors. Maybe I'd draw a dinosaur and it's blue, and I I don't quite like the shade, so I'd add a little green, and then maybe a little yellow, and a little red. And plenty of times, this experimentation went poorly. But on a few occasions, there were times where I was incredibly satisfied with the result. You know, sometimes colors just perfectly complement each other. And, And it can be intentional, like I would try, or accidental. But there was a beauty to that, and it was something that I would really feel proud about. And football can be the same kind of thing, right? There's so many personalities, and there's all these different bigger changes within structures of the league and when dynasties are rising and falling, that there's all of these little quirky avenues where a lot of times things are bad and there's all of these nameless teams that I will never talk about on the show will never be fondly remembered and there's these other times where the colors happen to sync up perfectly where you have talent and you have personality and you have leadership and the mentality of the city and they all come together and form this beautiful irreplaceable bond this magical season that comes out of the woodwork and one season that must be talked about in this regard is the 1998 dirty bird atlanta falcons and that's the subject of today's show of upon further review i am your host vince quinn you can follow me on twitter at It's Vince Quinn, and there's a lot to get into with the 98 Falcons. There's such a beautiful, rich story to this team because, in part, before the 98 season, their story sucks. The the Atlanta Falcons, they were a franchise, I'm getting the exact year here, 1966. They come into the league with a thunderous 3-11 and record, 1-12 and record, 2-12 and record. They're bad for a very long time. They don't make the playoffs for the first time until 1978. And 
going into the 1998 season, they'd only made the playoffs five times. And even then, they hadn't even seen a conference championship game. They'd always lose in the wild card of the divisional round. There had been no hope. You'd build a sandcastle, the tide comes in, and it all goes to crap. Well, 1998 is an interesting year because it feels like every other year in Atlanta. When it's August and the hype should be at such a fever pitch, fans couldn't be more excited. There wasn't a whole lot to be excited about. There wasn't the marquee free agent that would change everything. They did make some good signings, and one of them's Eugene Robinson, a safety with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Green Bay at this time had been in back-to-back Super Bowls. They won one, and then they lost the second one against John Elway and the Denver Broncos. So Robinson, um, he makes his way over to the Falcons, and that's a that's a good signing. He's a little bit older in his career. It's not a world-shaking thing, and that's kind of how it is for the Falcons. They didn't have the first overall pick in the draft. They were a 7-9 and middle-of-the-road team that had been 3-13 and the year before. So when you're talking about your big predictions for the 1998 season, Atlanta's not on the radar. They're maybe a playoff team. You never know. And that's the other thing, too. It's harder to get into the playoffs at this time in the NFL because the Falcons, they're in the NFC West. There's only three divisions in football for each conference. You have the East, the Central, and the West, so there's not more guaranteed first place in the division spots to go around. It's a very different picture. So here they are off a 7-9 and season with no major signings and a solid defense and generally acceptable but not otherworldly parts on offense. Chris Chandler is the quarterback of this team. He's a game manager. It's that simple. The guy completed about 58% of his passes. He's not a world fire setting kind of guy either. You know, he's completely acceptable, average kind of guy. Nothing more, nothing less. And at running back, you've got Jamal Anderson, who has been a good player prior to this season in, in a time frame acceptable way. He's getting over a thousand yards a season, but when you look a little closer, he wasn't quite as dominant as you would expect in the 1990s thousand yard rusher category because, well, some of those years he's got 3.5 yards a carry. So he's not necessarily great either. It's they're again, a very average team, but the season starts out surprisingly well for them. So they play the Carolina Panthers and they get a solid win on the road. They play the Eagles in week two and they get another win. They have an unfortunate week three bye because, God, that sucks. And week four, unsurprisingly, if you listen to the last show, they got smacked around by the San Francisco 49ers led by Steve Young in San Francisco. So they're 2-1. and one. They go into week four against the Carolina Panthers. And this game, this game, a week four contest, 
is maybe the most important, powerful, amazing regular season game that this franchise has ever seen. Because they destroy the Carolina Panthers. The cat is now extinct. I mean, 51 to 23. They return the opening kickoff. They get an, a touchdown that comes off of a hit against Musin Muhammad. He fumbles and they return it to the end zone for a touchdown. They just stomp all over the Carolina Panthers. They do not look back. They do not let up. Again, 51 to 23. And Jamal Anderson uh, in this game has a pretty good one. He's got 31 carries, 117 yards. He has a touchdown. He has another two catches for 34 yards on top of that. But the dismantling, and this is what's so peculiar and and so beautiful about all of this, the dismantling itself is not what is so important. This isn't necessarily the wind that fuels them on to victory. The secret ingredient to all of this is a fan. There is a man who may or may not know this, but he created a league-wide phenomenon. After the game, as the players, the Atlanta Falcons, were going to their cars, and it was a home game for them, a fan sees them going to the car, and he yells out, That's them dirty birds! That's them dirty birds! Yeah, baby! And the guys on the Falcons are like, whoa. There's a quote from Jamal Anderson talking about the next practice on Monday. He says, we get back Monday for watching film. And everybody's like, yo, did you hear that guy? It was the first time we had really heard it. We took to it. It was an attitude. And in the way he was saying it was like, yeah, that's how you play. That's them dirty birds. And boy, did you get dirty birds because the Atlanta Falcons absolutely take off at this time. After dismantling Carolina, they go to New Orleans and they win uh, or they go to the Giants and they win 34 to 20. They beat the Saints the next week. 31 to 23. And what's notable about that game is a touchdown is scored by none other than Jamal Anderson. And now it's important you realize how important Jamal Anderson is. This is his moment, his year. So in that game against the Saints, Jamal Anderson scores a touchdown. And he's thinking about over these past couple of weeks incessantly about what that fan was saying. Yeah, there's the dirty birds! Keeps thinking about it. Because there was such a love at this time for a different football team in Georgia. And it was the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Again, the Atlanta Falcons were nothing exceptional at all. In fact, they were mediocre or outright bad all the time. And Jamal Anderson said, when I got here... It was like, Georgia this, Georgia that. I was like, how do we turn into something where everybody's proud of the Falcons like that? And so after this fan yells, there's them dirty birds, Jamal Anderson has time to think. 
And against the New Orleans Saints, he scores a touchdown. And afterwards, he flaps his arms a little bit. And it gets a little bit of attention because now the Falcons are one of the premier teams in the NFL. They're 5-1. and one. Now they lose the next week. They play the New York Jets, but they had an injury. Chris Chandler was not playing in that game, and so they were unable to recover and they lose. When they get back, Chris Chandler, the next week against the St. Louis Rams, they go on a hot streak that is defining of the team and the season and and how wonderfully put together in time and in character this team was because they win and it's 37 to 15 again this is an absolute dismantling and they're doing it consistently they had the fourth best offense points wise and the fourth worst or fourth worst points allowed you know they were or the fourth best points allowed i should say as a defense so they're great on both sides of the ball top 5 both sides of the ball now when they get to new england you can see how All of this is starting to build. Anderson is on track to have an amazing Pro Bowl season and one of the best seasons that a running back has ever had at this point in time. They're a surprising team out of the gate. Everyone's very excited. They're beating good teams, and they're doing it handily. And then something happens after this dirty bird yelling by a fan, after Jamal Anderson flaps his wings a little bit. The Falcons get to New England. They play the Patriots in New England. And an interesting thing here is that Jamal Anderson had a rule where he did not like to celebrate in opposing team stadiums. Wasn't his idea of a good time. And he happened to score twice in this game. And after both of those touchdowns, Anderson was blown away, and I was too hearing about it. The the reaction of the New England fans. Because he mentions in an article that basically the fans were yelling at him because he wasn't doing the Dirty Bird, and they were wearing New England jerseys. They couldn't wait to see the guy. They wanted the show. They wanted the dance. Even if it was against their own team, they wanted to get the Dirty Bird experience, and he wouldn't give it to them. And so it was taken upon a backup tight end, O.J. Santiago, who scored later in the game, and he did his version of the Dirty Bird. And what do you know? The fans love it. So this is becoming a big-time identity for the Falcons. And again, think of this fan yelling, that's the Dirty Birds. Atlanta is such an interesting town at this time because they're very big and foundational in the hip-hop movement of the, you know, mid to late 90s. You've got Outkast, who's put a couple of albums out. Jermaine Dupri, who's a big name, he's putting out a lot of work. Outkast is a radio DJ who's starting to figure himself out in Atlanta. So there's a mentality to this team, and you see the Falcons, who are so gritty on the defensive end, and they're a ball management passing team, but a run-the-ball-in-your-face ground attack. And again, you get that from Jamal Anderson. What he does on this season as he dirty birds his way across the league, 
410 attempts, 1,846 yards. He gets 14 touchdowns on top of that. He adds another 27 catches and 319 yards and two touchdowns on top of that. 2,165 yards in total. It was, after the 1998 season, the 10th best season from any running back that the game had ever seen. Absolutely phenomenal. Jamal Anderson with the dirty bird, with his style of play, with the heavy usage, and with the winning and how it paired so beautifully with that defense. They were a phenomenon the league had never seen, that Atlanta had never seen. And so they became so wildly embraced by the city of Atlanta, and they kept winning as it kept going. San Francisco, it's a win. Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis, New Orleans. And there's an interesting roadblock after this New Orleans games. You see Dan Reeves, who is the head coach of the Falcons, had a bit of an interesting path. He was a uh, Denver Broncos head coach for a long time with John Elway. Had some issues with Elway. Mike Shanahan, the offensive coordinator, ends up not getting his contract renewed despite having three Super Bowl appearances, all losses, with the Broncos. So Mike Shanahan takes over, and you have a pretty good idea of how that goes. So Dan Reeves here has been a pretty much average coach, made the playoffs two years before but has a team that's rolling, that's building this funky, lovable touchdown dance and dominating on defense. This team loves each other. They're playing for each other. The city loves them. Dan Reeves, after the New Orleans Saints game, where the Falcons go 12-2, and he feels a, a pain in his chest. Something's not right. And so he talks to the team trainers, and they send him to the hospital the next day. And there's a big problem. Dan Reeves needs quadruple bypass surgery on his heart, and he needs it that afternoon. They schedule him right away. There's no time to waste. And so he goes under and gets the surgery. The defensive coordinator... For the Falcons, Rich Brooks, he takes over as the interim head coach. So while you've had all of this merging and melding and bonding between the team over this miraculous winning streak that they've had, all of this unexpected success, they now have a moment where their leader's gone down and and they just get further connected. It's such a tight-knit group and they continue to win these games. They beat New Orleans, they beat Detroit after that, they beat the Dolphins, and they're on their way to the playoffs at 14-2. and Interesting thing is, they're not the number one seed, and we'll, we'll get to who that team was in a minute, but first, as the number two seed, they, they first off, they get the bye, because at 14-2, and you damn well better get the bye, and they did. Dan Reeves is able to come back because now he's had three weeks to recover and he's there on the sidelines. So now the jacked-up Atlanta Falcons are able to get their leader back and they play the San Francisco 49ers, one of the only two teams that beat them the entire season. And the other one, they didn't have their starting quarterback. So, I mean, 
if you want to slice it this way, the only team that beat the full-strength Falcons during the regular season, led by Steve Young, one of the greatest quarterbacks that the league has ever seen, Jerry Rice, still a high performer. This is a tough challenge. And the 49ers go out there and embarrass Steve Young. He throws three interceptions in the game to one touchdown. Absolutely dominant. On the ground, it's maybe 60, 70 yards. Not much. And so one of the top offenses in the league is completely snuffed out, and the Falcons win the game 20-18 to at home. But then it gets harder because they have to play now the number one seed in the NFC, and that is the 1998 Minnesota Vikings. Oh, my God, no. If you don't remember that team, maybe you were too young or you were a soccer fan or whatever, let me tell you something. The 1998 Minnesota Vikings are one of the most special offenses. I mean, there's a lot of great offenses that history has seen, but if you had to just rip one out in some fantasy scenario and say this is going to be your offense player for player, you're taking a long, long, long look at the 1998 Minnesota Vikings. See, they're not just good. They are absolutely crushing everyone in their path. And and I'm saying this talking about the Falcons for the last couple of minutes and the, and the high scores that I've thought it's been that they've put up. But now, when you look at the Vikings and what they did, I mean, holy crap, 1998 was so their year. It's, it's crazy. They averaged 35 points a game. They had Randall Cunningham at quarterback, Chris Carter at wide receiver, Randy Moss at wide receiver. They're amazing. You have three Hall of Famers, and they're all producing at a high level. And so listen to some of these scores that this Hall of Fame offense put together. 31-7, 29 to 6, 41 to 7, 48-22, 41-21, 50, 50 points to 10 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, of course, that's going to happen. But Minnesota is everything. They They are the dream when it comes to effective offense. And they're not just a passing attack. They were at least capable. They averaged four yards a rush. So balanced as well. And going into this game for Atlanta, you've got to be nervous as a fan because this is a truth tester. Yet again, you've been through all this magical stuff. Everyone's doing the dirty bird across the country. I'm actually instinctively doing it now because I've seen the video so many times getting ready for this. Doing the dirty bird. Everyone's like, is this for real? This has to be a Cinderella team, right? Where's the pumpkin? This kind of game is a fact check. This is a truth serum if there ever was one. Minnesota, absolutely no joke in this game. And when it starts off, 
you feel pretty good as a Falcons fan because they draw first blood. Jamal Anderson is the first player to score in the NFC Championship game. And it's so fitting because what are you going to get? Well, Jamal Anderson, a touchdown, and you probably got a dirty bird. But to be fair, it is the Minnesota Vikings, and they do put up some points. Randy Moss gets a 31-yard touchdown. Gary Anderson gets a 29-yard field goal. Randall Cunningham, one-yard rush. Gary Anderson, another 35-yard field goal. You've got a 20-7 Minnesota Vikings lead with a minute left in the second quarter. You're very nervous. This is not an offense that slows down in Minnesota. They will stomp you out and not think twice about it. So despite how good you might have felt at the beginning of the game, and maybe maybe you were even the most confident Atlanta Falcons fan. As the season wore on, you bought into everything, and you are just such a firm believer that this is their year. This is their miraculous, strange, beautiful year, and they're going to win it all. And there's some reason to think that because the Falcons, as while Minnesota is the best offense in the league, the Falcons are the best defense because they lead the league in a couple of interesting categories. They led the league in takeaways with 44. They had 25 fumble recoveries, led the league there. They also led the league in time of possession as a defense. So they were utterly dominant on that side of the ball. This is, again, with this great Minnesota offense, you have the immovable object and the unstoppable force coming together here. So for Atlanta, while it is bad at 20-7, to you still have some reason to believe. Now, when it gets to the end of the game, it ends up being 27-20. to And Gary Anderson, the kicker for the Minnesota Vikings, is lining up to seal the game. And now you should be worried. You should be gravely worried as an Atlanta fan, as an Atlanta player. I imagine everyone in that stadium with any Atlanta allegiance whatsoever was mortified. Because Gary Anderson, that year, as he lined up for the 10-point lead field goal with two minutes left in the game, was perfect. Perfect. He had not missed a single kick the entire 1998 season. And it's not like he just kicked a few field goals. Like the offense did all of the work, and he was just some schlub that he kicked 20 field goals, and they were all short yardage, and he just lived a great life. No. Gary Henderson had kicked 35 field goals that year. Totally respectable number. He was 100% on those kicks. In the playoffs, he was 4 for 4. And here he was lining up again for a routine field goal to send the Minnesota Vikings to the Super Bowl. And so the Minnesota Vikings fans can't be happier. And they wait for the snap. And it's a clean snap. And the hold is clean. And Anderson goes for the kick. And it's wide left, wide left by a nose. Oh, it's so close. And so Atlanta, with two minutes left in the game, they're still in it. And they get the ball, they drive down the field, they score a touchdown, and it goes to overtime. And so in that overtime, Atlanta drives down the field again. 
they managed to get to a 38-yard field goal. Morton Anderson, the kicker for the Falcons, makes it. And the Atlanta Falcons, the Dirty Birds, this odd collection of personalities and Jamal Anderson and, and Dan Reeves, and they weren't supposed to be anything. They just beat one of the best offenses ever. They're, if you want to count the playoff games, they're 16-2, and two, and they're heading to the Super Bowl. Now, here's the thing. They happen to be facing John Elway and the defending Super Bowl champion Denver Broncos. And again, this is the team that Dan Reeves coached for, including John Elway, worked with John Elway for a number of years in Denver and was generally successful, made the playoffs a bunch of times. And again, the Super Bowl three different times, and he lost all three of them. And to have this matchup for the Super Bowl, you can't be feeling great. But there's been so much magic with this team, hasn't there? All of the, the dancing and the defense and the sturdy play from Chris Chandler at quarterback. They've done a wonderful job. There's a lot of belief in this team. And so the day before the Super Bowl, it seems to be Denver's favored, but Atlanta has a reasonable chance to win this game. The Dirty Birds could go all the way. They'd never been to a Super Bowl before. It's been 1966 since they were in the leagues. Never been. So here they are. If you've been a diehard fan all this time, this is your chance. It could really be the year. And think of the redemption story if Reeves does it. And Jamal Anderson, all the publicity that he'll get for doing all the dancing and doing it with a Super Bowl trophy in his hand. You couldn't even begin to imagine. But the night before the game, something catastrophic happens. And something incredibly dumb. One of the biggest problems with the Super Bowl week that's a criticism by fans, players, coaches, it's too much time. It's understandable to want two weeks from the league. It's a way to publicize the event. Your players get an extra week off. But they also have to deal with all of the fuss that comes from being a Super Bowl player for the next two weeks, all the media publicity, and you just feel really good about yourself. You're going out and partying, probably, to enjoy the atmosphere. And so, one of the players for the Atlanta Falcons, Eugene Robinson, the guy who had been the Green Bay Packers safety and an excellent center fielder. He even had nine interceptions in a single season once. This guy with the Super Bowl experience won one, lost one. Here he is again for the third consecutive year now in the Super Bowl with the Falcons. It's the night before, and he had just won the Bart Starr Award, which, and I quote, goes to the person who best exemplifies outstanding character and leadership in the home, on the field, and in the community. The day before the Super Bowl, he gets this award. Just a few hours later, Eugene Robinson is found 
on the streets of Miami, where the Super Bowl is to be played, proposing intercourse with a prostitute who happens to be an undercover cop. And so the story explodes. You've got a guy who's one of the respected leaders on the team, a Super Bowl veteran, a guy who's been to multiple Pro Bowls, considered one of the better safeties of his time period. He's been so instrumental to this team. And here he is the night before the Super Bowl. I mean, he's the guy who has been through all of this. He should know better. He just got the freaking Bart Starr Award. He's arrested. And the whole team is just, what? And reasonably so. What just happened? And for Atlanta, now all of these good vibes, every feeling that you've had that said, this is our year. Now there's some doubts. Eugene Robinson's up all night. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He's a mess. And it shows during the Super Bowl, including a play where he gets burned for an 80-yard touchdown. And this wasn't a Super Bowl that was considered competitive, unfortunately, for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Denver takes the lead early, and they really don't look back. It's 17-6 to at halftime. By the end of the game, it's 34-19. to And when you look back on that game, you got to wonder what would have happened if Eugene Robinson was not arrested, if he didn't do something that was so incredibly stupid. You have one of the players on the team, Ray Buchanan. He's been a very strong cornerback for the Falcons during this season. And what he says on the matter And it just breaks your heart, he says. It was just like the magic stopped somewhere out there. It was gone. And I can't blame him. And John Elway, who ends up winning a Super Bowl MVP, it's his back-to-back Super Bowl victories at the end of his career and ultimately rides into the sunset. He says that the whole incident was, quote, a major tragedy that must have affected his game. Because there's no doubt he was embarrassed. The whole team had to deal with it, and it cost them. So just like that, one stupid incident on the night before the Super Bowl cost this magical team this out-of-nowhere wonderful story with character and passion and struggle. It cost them everything. And so the 1998 Falcons go home losers. Dan Reeves, after the Super Bowl, never manages to quite recover. They don't make it again to any serious success. He has one more winning season in Atlanta. He stays there until 2003 and retires. Jamal Anderson, who had, again, one of the top 10 seasons a running back had ever produced, With total yards in a season, he never sees the playoffs again. And he stays in Atlanta for his entire career. This season happened when Jamal Anderson was 26 years old. 
He's not an old man. This isn't a last hurrah for him. He plays until he's 29, and again, nothing. But the Dirty Bird lives on. And that's one of the fascinating things about this team. It's the power of a dance move. They're called the Dirty Birds. The move still exists. Atlanta Falcons still do it to this day, and they have to be aware of it. Because why? The power, the passion, the fun, the excitement that all came out of this 1998 Atlanta Falcons team. And I hope you enjoyed it. So this has been Upon Further Review for this week. Again, I'm your host, Vince Quinn. And if you've enjoyed the show, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever it might be, I know this show's all over the place. We try to get it everywhere we can. Please, a five-star rate. It, it does a lot. Um, for me, and, and any criticisms you have, again, feel free to tweet me. Have, it's Vince Quinn. Maybe there's a story you'd like to see. Let me know, at It's Vince Quinn, all on Twitter. But I just think about this Atlanta team, and they're just so unique. It As a Philly fan, it's basically the 93 Phillies. Think of those tough, gritty, strong guys, a bunch of oddballs who get together and just everything clicks. Kind of the same thing. It was very cool to see that happen uh, in the football world in Atlanta. So I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, do yourself a favor. Watch the Dirty Bird video. I'm going to put it out on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. Absolutely worth your time. It's a joy to watch and a joy to perform, even if I can't dance so well. That has been Upon Further Review for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Take care.